Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the show. I'm Will and this is Sam. And you're joining us on our first episode. Today we'll be covering Body Bags from 1993, directed by John Carpenter and Toby Hooper. Two masters of horror. John Carpenter, director of Halloween, The Fog, Christine, and Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And Toby Hooper, director of Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Together, they bring you a frightening new tale of horror. This film opens with John Carpenter wielding yeah. a chainsaw, imitating the MGM lion, who I believe was named Leo. Yes. And proudly announcing this film is produced by 187 Pictures. Before we even get into yeah. the film, I, th- I just thought it was quite interesting. We've got Body Bags as the title, and 187, which I believe is police code for a murder, right? It sounds quite gangster at this point. Yeah, John Carpenter's, like, repping it. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I also assume the uh, chainsaw is a nod to Toby Hooper. Yeah, I kind of It's like, John Carpenter's that. in it, yeah. and then there's uh, Texas Chainsaw yeah. nod there, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it reminded me of when I was in... Uh, Richmond, Virginia, and there was a SUV with the number plate body bags, and there was this old lady driving it. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's from one of those, like, you know, police repossession auctions yeah, or something like this. Yeah, presumably it? had, like, or it was d- her son's. dollar sign spinners <laughs> and always on the side, she just wasn't first. Yeah, it was pretty glorious. Just a little runaround, just to get some milk every now and again. Um, a little background on this film is it is, it was meant to be, these are all pieces produced for a TV show. Yeah. What a TV series that was never made. Yeah, it was and it recycled... going to be... I was going to get into this later on, but there's yeah. no reason not to get into it yeah. now. So, Body Bags was originally going to be HBO Showtime's yeah. uh, Answer to Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. These were produced as separate episode ideas for a TV series which was ne- never came to fruition and then compiled into a film. Because I I'm kind of sure. assumed they made the all the different stories separately and then made the wraparound afterwards. I, I don't think they were meant to be put together and we'll get into why as we go on, I think. It starts off with the, the sort of typical John Carpenter like fonts and mm. music and everything yeah. and uh, obviously he did the music on I this. was just about to say, I, I believe he did the soundtrack, didn't he? There's also a really cool thing where the title comes up and it's like this zip. Yeah. And it's like flashes up. That. Oh, that was, that was really I, cool. Just to 
get into this, I do actually like the framing device, like the idea of it. Yeah. Basically, he's the coroner. He opens, like, finds an interesting case, zips open the body, mm. and then you kind of, that's when it goes into the story. It's, it's got a really um, crazy funny. tone because it goes creepy music and then it cuts into, like, John Carpenter. There's, like, this rock music playing. He's like, I'm a radical. Yeah, he's, like, drinking formaldehyde. Drinking like, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde martinis. It's, like, a really weird mix of, like, quite very dark sensibility, very gory props yeah. and then just like goofy wisecracking jokes rick baker did the effects on this and yeah we'll see as we go on this i mean actually incredible gore in this so uh the first story all the st stories have a uh, very like uncreative titles the first one's called the gas station this one's this one's john carpenter director yeah. of course it I starts felt like john carpentry i was gonna say as um i felt it was ahead of its time which was interesting in that terms of having like uh, the main protagonist was a young black woman studying to um, be a lawyer. Played by someone called Alex Thatcher. Has she been in anything else, like, notable? She doesn't have... I can tell you this, Sam. She doesn't have a photo on IMDb, so... Oh, I, that's not a good sign. No. The setup is she's dropped off at a, a job at a gas station yeah. overnight. It's her first night on the job. I like the night shift setting. I think it's really creepy, because I think you can relate to it. And it's also kind of like that weird other yeah. side of, you know, life at night time. Yeah, and at the same time, it's like realistic as well. There are places about yeah. where it's just like someone sat in a hole, and if someone wants to come up and harass you, it's not really a huge amount you can do about it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's one of the strengths of this story. This setting. Yeah. So she goes into the 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 gas station to yeah. uh, meet the guy. I guess it's like handing over to it, yeah. Bill. And um, I think even before this, there's a little sort of nod to Halloween. I don't know if you picked up on that. On the radio, they mention how there's a killer on the loose in Haddonfield, and Haddonfield is where Oh, uh, I did so. miss that, yeah. yeah. Quite quickly, it becomes this parade of people. Yeah. First, it's um, Wes Craven. Yeah, Wes Craven was the first one. He was the back smokes. Like, really sleazy. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he says, like, I got some bourbon in my car. Yeah. <laughs> you your booth. Yeah. Like As if she's going to be like, oh, yeah. And he's like, well, catch you around. Maybe I'll see you around. I do like there's this kind of like um, list of suspects, like the pe pe customers mm. turning up, and you're kind of like, okay, who's going to be the one who's the murderer? Yeah, and um, it was it's sort of at this point I started to really like the style of this because it's got this like, you know, sort of neon light. I was about to say, that's very what reminded me very much of John Carpenter right off the bat. Yeah, a lot of use of wide angles in this, like, yeah. uh, Wes Craven's point of view is a wide angle, and they, they use them a lot, and it just makes it really creepy, but in a kind of low budget. Well, it made sense style. as well for like the setting because it is like kind of. Even though obviously there is buildings about, like it's just this one little like little yeah. island like in the, middle of, in the middle of darkness. Yeah, and it's yeah. nice to have this like wide shots where you can just see someone just pulls in, they get their petrol, they just fuck off, and it's like they are just disappearing into that void again. Yeah, and um, I I kind of become a bit enamoured with this kind of TV movie aesthetic. Yeah, like, it, it, this one again, especially the music as well, really reminds me of the kind of mood of like the old Resident Evil games and stuff. Oh yeah, it doesn't. Like, there was some really Resident Evil bits because it's got this kind of like ambient chimes yeah. kind of synths going on a lot, and um, yeah, I really like the mood of it. So yeah, the next guy comes up is the nice guy. He's meant to be yeah. less sleazy, but I'm already sure. How did you feel that was meant to be portrayed? Because I felt they were all the people who came up were creepy mm. in their own way. Oh, I, I guess maybe it was meant to be. I, she, she, I I assumed it was telling me like this is a nice guy, 
Yeah, that's what but I meant. Now, now you say it, I because I read him as sleazy personally. I think maybe yeah. that was meant to be ambiguous. That's, yeah. that's what sure. I mean because I think there's a bit when he's like, "Oh, do you want to meet me at the club?" And she's like, "It has a shot of her like holding the keys up to her face and like smiling and just yeah." Like, and she's kinda, like, like dripping. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, she's froth. Um, excuse my friends, but frothing at the gash. <laughs> I believe <laughs> is the term. What, what we're trying to express to listeners <laughs> is how hammy she starts to get around. The yeah, she really like, does. It's really at the top. You feel like she he bought her a ring in some kind of advert. She's just like, oh, God, <laughs> do you think he likes me? Like, but again, they all came off as creepy to me, which I wasn't sure if he was meant to. Yeah. I feel like a lot of time, like love interests in old horror films, come off as terrifying rapists. Um, but of course, the um, her being kind of into him does play out plot-wise because yeah. it's why she doesn't give him back his card. Yeah. He forgets his card, and she runs out of the booth after him. And locks herself out. Bill yeah. had mentioned when he briefed her that uh, the door locks automatically. Yeah, this was immediately annoying. The fact that it didn't actually have that much effect on the plot was probably a good thing. It even has the constant lingering shots of the keys on the table, and you're like, I know she's going to forget the keys. And she <laughs> does, like, immediately. <laughs> this, compared to um, the second story especially, I think has a really succinct setup, and then it mm. is building tension. It's a slow burn, but in an yeah. effective way. So she locks herself out, and she knows there's another set of keys inside the sort of, I guess, the garage building part yeah. of it. Um, and that's where a hobo turns up. He wants to use the restroom really badly because he wants to sleep there. Yeah. Um, Good performance. But it's one of those things where it's like immediately as soon as he turns up, it's like it's too obvious. Yeah. You know it's going to be all right. And then there's like this sort of rowdy drunk couple. She's like, ask him if he'll do her a favor by checking the hobo and yeah. the toilets. And he like pulls up his belt. He's like, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the girl he's with can't use the pump, so she sort of has to get out. And this is sort of building power because there's, there's all these things at yeah. play at this point, which is. Quite but there cool. was I was almost a moment where I thought she's gonna forget the keys a second time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, if that happens, I'm well, done. She, I'm I done with this film. She stops herself from doing it again. Thankfully. Yeah, she almost does it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't be doing with this. The guy comes back and says that the bum's asleep, but he's left the key for the restroom in there. Yeah. And then there's an interesting line. I don't know if it was meant to be intentionally stupid, but the girl says, "Oh, it's cold. We need. We should leave." And they're in a fucking convertible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think they. Th- I didn't actually think about that. <laughs> Mind you, she's like meant to be pretty thick, isn't she? Yeah, so maybe that's, what that's I the thought. thing. So it was intentional. But she's heading back towards the restroom to get this key. The, the music attention's really building mm. up. And um, again, they use these wide angles really effectively, just to give it like, yeah. this really off kilter feel. And. I think, like again, the low-budget lighting and stuff really yeah. adds to the mood of that. Um, what she fi- she doesn't find the hobo in there, presume. Well, she she doesn't check the actual cubicles, so it could have been in there. First of all, she finds the artwork. Yeah, there's like which, this sweet ass artwork. Yeah, yeah. I've literally written down here: artwork and toilet, dope as fuck. Because I was thinking that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking cool. Like it's like someone's drawn outlines and filled yeah. them in. Like it's pretty in detail. What is it really portraying? Just like I think it was people? like a, it was like a demon. Oh, it looked like yeah. coming out of something. It's pretty rad. It was odd, but like for some reason, I maybe it was because I was like on a big Lovecraft kick. Yeah. I got the feeling it was like some weird cult thing, and I really like. Even though I'm definitely reading way too much into it, I really like the idea of there yeah. being like almost a bit of backstory to this. Like you always get Whoa. a bit a glimpse into like the killer's mind, even though you don't understand it. There is some kind of logic to it. He has his own beliefs and like thought system. You know. I was going the same way because I've watched this film once before, but I kind of missed this bit. Mm. Uh, the first story, and obviously I picked up on the Halloween reference, so I was like, 
well, this is kind of like Halloween 2, which is fun. Mm. This section actually feels a little bit like to some degree, where he's like writing Sam Hain like, on the walls yeah. and stuff, and I was like, if it's supposed to be Michael Myers, I thought the same thing, that maybe it could be like a cult thing, or because yeah. he's supposed to be yeah, doing this like ritual yeah. or something. So as she, as she comes back to the station, she sees that the car in that sort of gar- garage area or mechanics area is yeah. being lifted up on the hydraulic mm. lift. And that obviously sets her off that, you know, something's definitely... Yeah. That's what does it, right? She goes to, She's pretty badass in this scene, considering how useless she is a lot of the time. But um, <laughs> she goes to ring the phone. Phone doesn't work, obviously. No explanation for that, I guess. Yeah. I think he, we see a, f- a phone line cut later on. As soon as it doesn't ring, she's like, oh, there's a big fucking wrench. And then yeah. she heads back towards the car. Um, that's when we have the hose jump scare. She steps on a hose, and I wrote, hose actually hisses. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really like, because it's like this wide-angle handheld yeah. shot, and she just, like walks right into it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it hisses. It's like, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's it like, I thought I put it down because it was kind of like stupid and funny, but at the same time, I enjoyed it. When, when she gets to the car on the lift, she finds the hobo in it, and he's dead. Yeah. All gored up. Wait, is this... this so does she see uh, Bill in there? Not initially. She doesn't. I believe she doesn't see Bill. She goes back to the. But we've seen Bill as like a cutaway, right? Because we see the employee of the month photo that's smashed. Yeah. And this is supposed to give away what's happening, but I didn't really pick up on it right away. No, I didn't pick up on it initially. You see Bill to start with, obviously. Yeah. And then later on, you see the employee of the month photo, which says Bill, but it's a different face. Yeah. And, and then I think the, then you Bill. get you get shown it again, which I think is meant to be the real clue. Like, right. That it's obviously not the same person. But I think she walks back to the booth, doesn't she? And then starts to, because she's upset about the body, starts trying to, she tries to call Bill. Right. And then that uh, goes straight to the one in the... Because that's where he cuts the line with the machete. It's this huge fucking machete. Yeah, that's odd. He cuts his own phone that he's on at the time, doesn't he? Yeah. So it's not really that effective, I guess. That's true. <laughs> I didn't really see the purpose of it. Uh, yeah. But... I'm assuming the number he gave her was just for that phone. So she assumed she was ringing his house number and he's actually ringing another internal line. Oh, because he does give her a number. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Something I didn't notice uh, watching it even again was that the dead Bill is Sam Raimi oh I didn't notice that because I don't really remember seeing his face I, mean, I don't think you do see it I think he just falls straight out I don't think yeah. you'd have to well I guess it's his photo as well but oh yeah there you go that's my second favourite Sam Raimi cameo from when he has his name written on some ashes in uh, Phantasm 2 what's cool is when Bill is like yes he's the killer now he has this big fuck off bloody machete yeah he carries that out and then he sheathes it and he's, he has a huge machete sheath as well. This thing's like maybe four or five foot long. Which, if I recall, he was not wearing at the start of the film. <laughs> but one better is he literally yeah. sheathed it and then he just swings up a sledgehammer. Oh, yeah. It's like GTA. Yeah, literally like a full-on hammer space arsenal. <laughs> just whoop. Yeah, it's glorious. I, uh, I assumed he picked it up, but I don't think he does, does he? He's no, just, it's like one... I'm sure it's yeah, like... while he's walking. One shot maybe that maybe it cuts away, but like the way it's cut, it really seems like he just pulls it out of his trousers yeah. or something. That'd be great. Every time he looks back, he's got a larger weapon <laughs> coming out. <laughs> well, like a Bugs Bunny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she locks herself back in the, the station with the tills and everything, um, and he's hammering, trying to get in. Yeah. And she's just like running around looking for a weapon. I didn't actually catch what she used to knock him out when he gets in. It's the, uh, it's like another till, isn't it? Oh, it's a till. Like okay. I think it's like well, a cash register, like it's a right. backup one or something. Because he he gets knocked the fuck out as soon as he comes through that door. <laughs> he's twitching. I kind of liked it because I mean, you know he wasn't dead, but I liked it. it was a little bit like. I guess yeah, maybe he's just having a little like yeah. in the story. <laughs> she again, like I hate the I hated the thing of constantly like ragging on the last girl, which yeah. is like what everyone has to do in a horror film when discussing them. 
but she does just walk away from him yeah. and then just stand there facing away and do does absolutely nothing in a nice widescreen shot. Wait, widescreen? Not just any widescreen shot. That is a direct re reference to Halloween. Is it? Remember the shot in Halloween where she sat in the door where she thinks Michael Myers is dead, he's in the closet. Oh, and then he yeah. gets up and he's out focused in the back. It's the same shot, but it's just oh, yeah. some guy on was, a bollard. I hadn't thought about <laughs> it. I was just about to say, because I liked that he was out of shot and you could see him moving around yeah. still. I thought it was very cool. And I was, yeah, I was like, and oh, it's, like, it's a Halloween shot. It's one of those things where I was like, yeah, okay, there's a story. It doesn't make as much sense, but in terms of a piece of art, it's cool as fuck. I'll let, I'll let it off. <laughs> Basically, she sees him coming for her, tries to run for the car and um, mm. to, to take the car and get yeah. out of there. He lifts it up again yeah. onto the hydraulics, and then the guy who forgot his card turns up and sort of gets tackles him, doesn't they? Yeah, um, which gives her enough time to drop the car on him, kind of crush him, Terminator one style. Yeah, he kind of like, I don't know. I think he gets you get away with it just because he's like full discombobulated. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty cool kill. Yeah, and then he like because he, he does kind of like go, oh, I'm falling under the car and backing into the car, and I was like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fine. The only thing that spoiled it for me is the last line of this story. That is, is the ending. It's just the guy saying, I forgot my card. Oh, right. I was about to say, I liked it before when he just goes, bitch. <laughs> when he collapses down. Oh, yeah. It's really like under his breath. It's almost like the actual actor was like upset with the actress. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> and then it literally like snaps right back into JC in the morgue. Yeah. Um, sure. Every time they cut back, there's always like a really big gore shot in the morgue, I notice. Mm. Like they always really sell some big like eviscerated corpse or yeah. something like this. And this section actually has the most like gore, I think, because it's where they have all these bodies. Oh, when he's going through the necrophiles. Yeah, necrophiles as he calls them. As he calls them. And he does, does a full look at the camera. I'm like, yeah, that's right. We, we know what you said, JT. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I liked you know it. what I'm doing. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> we both know what I'm doing. And then I, I, I told you I wrote this down, but I lied because yep. I don't actually didn't write it down. But he tries to pull out the first drawer, which I believe is a woman with incredibly large boobs. Yeah. And he can't get them out. And he says, what does he say? Oh, he does say something. What, but they make this weird noise. Yeah, they go like... <laughs> he says that she should be recycled. Yeah, he says something like they jiggle or something like that. It's really odd. I don't know if this is true. I just wrote it on IMDb. Apparently that uh, body was donated by Ron Jeremy. I, it was like a sex doll or something. Oh, right. I thought you were suggesting it was an actual <laughs> person. Woman, yeah. I thought even if you didn't kill her, I was like, Jesus. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably should have made that clear. Yeah. <laughs> God, Jeremy just got like twice as creepy. <laughs> he just has all these dead women in his house. He donates to horror films. Yeah, but he goes through like four or five drawers in this bit. Um, <laughs> I thought... I was going to say he goes through four or five women. I was like, a day? Yeah, Christ. <laughs> But yeah, it's just I real. There's just so much effects in the wraparound. I think it's kind of unusual to put that much budget into the wraparound. But maybe that was because it was produced later to try and tie it up and make it not a massive. Yeah, failure. and I feel like that ties in with why it has the cameos and things as well, where it's kind of like there's almost like okay, we've already done this. Let's just have fun with the. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting to think whether John Carpenter was originally intended to be in it, or that was just like, well, that was yeah. a failure. Let's wrap it up and I'll have some fun with it. Well, it's like you have ever horror directors at the end, so I think it yeah. is kind of like they all just sort of turned up and decided to make have a little bit of fun making some like goofy stuff and just playing with some effects and things. Body bags. The second story is also by John Carpenter. It's called Hair. And you know and what this... the story is about. <laughs> <laughs> this this one. I'm going to say it's the worst one, but I think it might be my favourite. I was about to say, I think this is... Okay, I don't think... First, this is supremely would, entertaining. We could do a 
fucking weekly podcast on this story. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts with, there's like an infomercial with a creepy British guy played by David Warner. This is repeated and I love it because he's like, remember, when I had the hair treatment, I bought the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought the whole thing. But this kind of sets up what goes on to be a ridiculously overdone set for a story. I really, really enjoyed this, this story. I wanna... My second note right. is smooth noir jazz. Yeah, fair enough. I haven't written it down, but and I And I really it. hope that wasn't Carpenter or Carpenter's decision because it... It ruins any attempt at, like, an appropriate tone in this story. Yeah, I think it adds, like, it's kind of a creepy element to, like, almost like a vaporwave-y kind of vibe. Where it's funny you're going to say that, because I'm going to go off on a vaporwave tangent in about oh, five minutes, okay. so we'll save it for yeah. that. Well, I think, okay, first of all, I need, as you can see, something you need to know about me, which is I am a balding man <laughs> as a human being. So I've written here first note, too real for me. <laughs> And I want to say the actor who plays uh, the main character in Stacey Keach, which Stacey, is bizarre. Yeah, oh yeah, Stacey Keach, I did read about him. Mm. He, um, he plays like the fury of losing hair with such conviction. <laughs> conviction <laughs> is one way of putting it. Convi- no, genuinely like, and he takes his anger out on his loved ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I feel you. I was sat there like nearly in tears. Like, a, to, uh, emotional experience. to bolster Sam's point, I've written down relationships, less confidence issues. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? I think about? you summed up his character motivation. Basically, he's losing his hair and he's... Yeah. Un- he's Very not, unhappy. Yeah, he's not unhappy about it. He's got it. this attractive wife or girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend, girlfriend so. yeah. And he's losing his confidence. Yeah. And this is spelled out about five or six different times by different characters in different ways. And then Increasingly like, brilliant. And, so, then he just, and he, it's really farcical, so... I've, my second, my other note here is I noticed the music is still going because it just plays throughout like yeah, the majority is, of the story. Yeah, it's like it's literally the same sa- like song, so, isn't it? Just constantly going, which is like like it makes it funnier. So there's even like a little two pacing here where he's like, oh, do I try the two? No, it looks really stupid. Then he paints his hair on. That comes on a little bit, but yeah, the yeah. first we go to this fucking hairdresser. Oh yeah, I've written down. Um, <laughs> you're heading for Chrome Dome City. <laughs> <laughs> I've written down. I can give it shade. <laughs> <laughs> Give you back your manhood. Oh yeah, actually, he's his, he also steals the show. You could have, like, to be fair, you could have just had the one scene of um, him and his girlfriend, and another scene of him with the hairdresser. Because I like the hairdresser comes back into it later, which makes sense. Yeah. I wouldn't have minded maybe they're doing this while having like another like separate story going on, like kind of like tied in together to sort of show you a bit what was going on yeah. or something else that wasn't just a man losing his hair. Yeah. Like to be honest, you're not invested in him. You know something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> like you just want to like get it over with, kind of. So the scene after he comes out the hairdresser, they give him the sort of slick back look. It's a little bit better. It is where I started to absolutely love this. Oh, story. is this the the montage? slow motion <laughs> hair ogling scene? I put hair. To Crosby, montage. Stills and Nash. I nearly cut my hair today, or yeah. whatever it's called. And it's just these bizarre people with long hair. Then it even cuts to a dog. Yeah, I was gonna, I was <laughs> so gonna write. It would just be hilarious if the last one was like Chewbacca walking down, but yeah. it literally is a fucking dog. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's such a good scene with that song. And then after that point, it's, it's, uh, that got me thinking like this. Talked about the vaporwave thing. I was like, this would make the best vaporwave video because it goes from that, which I think is vaporwave video and stuff, mm. into a bunch of product shots. Oh yeah. It's got there's literally hair music he's playing to make his hair grow with like shots of a tape set player. <laughs> and I was actually playing this back because uh, I wanted want to check some of my notes and I noticed that one of the products is extract of lamb fetus, which somehow I missed. Wow, I didn't know. <laughs> it's like really blatantly done, send a yeah, frame. But I missed it first time. Um, there's another dumb farcical scene, as you said, where he paints on his hair. And 
it's just milking it again, yeah. and she like kisses him and kisses on her, and then they have a big fight. I also noticed there's no music in this scene. Is there not? No. <laughs> Which is just why not this? Yeah. Scene? <laughs> <laughs> I like there's like, someone, just, just someone just leaving the music on, and then to get to the point, go no, 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 no. Stop. Well, this is the drama. Yeah, yeah. He's just painted his hair. Yeah, this is the pause. This is the too drums. serious. Yeah. <laughs> have you pause ever? Pause for the Literally is. Have you ever um? Have you ever seen someone with painted hair in real life? No. I saw it the other day for the first time, which is strange. We watched this, and I remember like because I, I work at a shop as well, like serving them, and the whole time, not taking my eyes off their hair or lack thereof. <laughs> I imagine and, they were just looking out the window at some, like, 27-year-old creep with well, waist-length hair yeah. and walking his dog. <laughs> it's literally, like, hair on the sides and then painted in the middle, so it's not even 3D. Wow, that's like, really weird. That's like a Russian around. doll. Yeah, it's terrifying. But anyway, this is just to let you know, this is a real thing that people do. <laughs> this whole story is based on true facts. This is a true story. <laughs> and then they have this this big argument after that, where he has the line, Yeah, walk out on the pole, <laughs> <laughs> And she just, I think our last words to her was, wash your head. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. And then he sees the British creep again saying, I bought the fucking company. Is this when he goes to the actual... He goes, and this is a little gem, I don't know if you noticed this. He goes for his appointment with a Dr. Locke, he's called. Yeah, oh yeah. And when he walks in the Dr. door, it's in the back of frame, he takes off immediately, but he's wearing this beret. <laughs> yeah, he, he does it again and later. I, I laughed out loud so many times at this. Because right. he walks in, he's like... Oh. Was well, he got sunglasses as well for some reason? Yeah, he's got this huge like he Colonel like, Gaddafi yeah, beret. A full like retired sniper <laughs> for no reason. Oh god, it's yeah, so that boring. did tickle me. Uh, this scene is bizarre. David Warner's obviously you know chewing the scenery, and then there's Debbie he's, Harry as this like, was, slutty nurse. Yeah, I was like, like, what the fuck? Like she carry doing on, there? like what you know? It was really weird. He has like some on point sales patter. <laughs> I've written Doctor's Next Level Sales Technique. <laughs> they, they argues with him about whether he's ready to have hair, and he says, you don't think I'm up to having hair? Yeah, he's like, it's you can't handle bizarre. the hair. It's he's like, so bizarre. It's like, oh, yeah. It's, it's like, like, it's a lot of responsibility. People expect more from you. Yeah, uh, people yeah. trust bold people more. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I like. He's like, you know, it's easier being bold. People don't respect you as much. It's not much, much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. And like, instantly, he's like, I want the hair. I want the hair. So he gives in and they take him over to the graphic scanner. There we go. You're not, you're not skipping machine. this bit. Not skipping this bit. The selection of hairs. Well, the only ones I remember was something Republican. And he's like, nah. He's like, too conservative. Like, and then he goes, no, I've got one. The stallion. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, that's where the drop is. The jazz bit comes right back in because he's like, stallion look. And yeah. this is... That was full careless whisper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this, this hairstyle, how can we describe this hairstyle? So. Um... Luscious flowing mane. I didn't really understand the logic of the hair thing. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not meant to be a realistic story by any stretch, but wouldn't you just grow hair and then get the hair cut? Like, the hair keeps growing anyway, so what was the purpose of growing it into a style? It does seem really strange, especially when you consider the, what they're actually doing. Yeah, considering the actual, like, it's irrelevant. Well, they have this there. makeover machine. They put a photograph of him into it. They, like, have physical photograph they put into this. Yeah. Like a scanner. Oh, yeah, it's a wonderful bit of, like, retro-futuristic bullshit. Yeah. It looks like, kind of like a photocopier a little bit. Yeah. But, like, taller, and there's this little screen with a little just it, wig imagination on it's it. It's fun, but it's bizarre. It makes no sense in context of the story. But whatever, nothing did about that whole scene. <laughs> so, we know, obviously, though, that he's gonna get his hair back and there's gonna be some price to pay. The wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and the sort of bandages around his head have swelled up. Yeah. And, um, I could tell he was a real balding man, because the joy <laughs> upon I his face. I thought you were gonna say, because he talks to himself, like, 
so much before he does it. He says, I just want oh, to love me again. himself up. I thought it was like watching Eight Mile. <laughs> and he just freaks the fuck out. He's like shaking, he's screaming. He's like very girly in yeah. this scene. He's like, he's patting the hair. He's, he's like, like so funny. Throwing the hair around. I've also written down, it's the me I've always wanted to be, is the line he says. And also, if I let you touch it, I'd have to let everyone touch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he's like going through fantasies of like having the hair in his head, isn't he? <laughs> It's really so good. So that's a great thing. But it, it looks ridiculous, this haircut, because he keeps the mustache <laughs> on top of it. He looks like fucking Easy Rider. Like. I don't know what he looks like. He looks like a Mexican werewolf, even <laughs> at this point. Like, it's absurd. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but I like... His girlfriend comes over. She's fucking ridiculous for it. Without, I didn't realise I was going to be able to say this twice, but she is frothing at the <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I think she describes him as so animal. Animal? Yeah. <laughs> and um, she just has to leave and she's like, tell me you love me. And he's just like... Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't like, even make that. It's just like this weird groan. Oh, he goes... Just like, like starts banging her. Like He becomes beyond man at this point. He can do what he wants. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that's the night before, isn't it? And then they wake up in the morning. There's a great yeah. bit where... This is where we start to see the adverse effects of having this... Uh, this hair, hair growing, and he says he has a sore throat, and then she says, maybe we overdid it last night. So what the fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I thought, first of all, I was like, oh, blowjob. Wait, what? <laughs> exactly. And then he, he gets progressively sick, but also he's noticed that his hair's growing longer. Oh, is that, um, is it during that scene where he... Goes back to the hairdresser? No, where he pulls the hair... I think that's slightly out. later, but... Y- yeah, yeah. Oh, that's gross. But yeah, yeah that anyway. was really icky. The first time things get like overtly supernatural than the fact that he's grown like four foot of hair overnight. <laughs> he goes to the hairdresser to get it cut, everyone's like, look at this guy's fucking hair, and the hairdresser's just gushing over him and he's yeah. like, so on mine baby, he calls him baby, it's such a weird scene. And it cuts a little bit off and you see it on the floor and that's the first time oh, yeah, we see like... these little wormy things in his hair, it looks like the hair's alive. And um, I read that this was CGI but I'm pretty sure it's stop motion. It looks more stop motion than anything. But very good, especially as a good Oh yeah, I was about to say, I actually really like it, even though it's a jokey, well, it's a jokey story, it's like not taking itself too seriously. The effects in it are actually disturbing and really good. He notices the hair in his throat, like you were saying, which is a really icky scene, and the jazz intensifies at this point. I, I it, yeah, I was watching it with subtitles, and it did say jazz intensifies. <laughs> he tries to get in touch with Doctor Locke. Um, he actually grabs the yellow pages, which is kind of nice bit of nostalgia to see. And then I think he goes to sleep, and you see hairs coming out of his neck, they're yeah. poking out of his skin. Yeah, I do it's another that. really cool effect in this. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, he wakes up in the morning completely werewolf. Like, just looking yeah. absurd. He takes a magnifying glass to some of these hairs that he pulls off his face, I think. Yeah, and they... Um, that's when they literally like chasing the Argonauts, like... Yeah, Medusa. which is like, I was thinking even with like I know it's a magnifying glass. I was like, for those like, you can see they've literally got like teeth on them. I was like, they must be really big. Like your hair would look fucking <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> he shambles into Doctor Locke's office at this point, and yeah. Doctor Locke just kind of being casual, and then just suddenly cuts his arm open, basically, right? And but rather than just bleeding like a stuck pig, um, he's full of these snaky fucking, weird things. Yeah, they come out and they look gross, and it gave me the creeps. I don't know, freak me out. And then he holds his arm. He explains what's going on, we'll talk about that, and he yeah. holds his um, finger up to his eye, and one of them crawls out of his eye and onto his finger for no reason, but it's creepy. This is where we expect the ex- explanation to come. It's that part of the story that literally <laughs> opens with you earthlings and your vanity. Yeah, it's and like, we're like, oh, here we go, this is good, you know. Stupid, shit. stupid earthlings. Crappy like, oh, B okay. movie stuff. It went full Ed Wood at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The revelation, as best I can take it, is he explains that there's some alien race. 
they when they came to Earth, made out were... of hair. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, coughed up by cats into our yeah, planet. Yeah, presumably. Um, they said so they were very weak when they came, but they found that they could live off human brains, of course. Your brains are the only food on which we can thrive. Obviously. And they just had to find a way to exploit humans' vanity to get munching, basically. Which I would love to see the timeline of how this happened. Yeah. Like, did they just, like, find people on the floor and steal their brains and then slowly work their way up to a respectable Fortune 100 company? <laughs> and then, like, start, start, like, dealing out a hair transplant? Is that really the best way to do this? Isn't it more effective methods? But, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's um, strange. And this, it doesn't explain a lot. And again, like as a morale, like it feels like a morality tale. And you're like, oh, you're so vain and everything. Mm. But it's like, maybe it seems. A, I mean, maybe you shouldn't eat brains. I mean, it's just one of the classic things of horror films, isn't it? Of being like r ridiculous punishment for like a most minor crime. In this case, being vain. And sometimes aliens eat you. <laughs> Fuck you. At this point, uh, Richard is like catatonic. Like as soon as he gets in there, I guess the aliens that are in him, these little worms. They creatures. made it. I think they make it clear that they're all like a hive mind. Yeah. Right. So presumably. They're in is in enough of him that they can just be like, oh, okay, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> and um, David Warner says so this is something I, I didn't understand until I thought about it a little bit more. But he says um, about taking Richard into the implant containers. Yes. And I was like, what does that mean? But I really he starts removing all the worms from him while Debbie Harry sings this like creepy tune. Yeah. And he just sits there, literally rubbing his hands, being evil. Yeah. <laughs> which I love. But I guess what happens is that they take these aliens out to put into whatever they gave him in the first place to do it to someone else. Yeah, that was my assumption. So this does raise the question, what happens to his body to fit into this morgue wraparound we've got? Yeah, that was the confusing part Because I was like, so, does he fall out of this building? Is what I was expecting. The story kind of implies that the body will, of the person will not be found. Hmm. So I don't quite understand how they ended up as a body bag. Well... Before we get into it, he has a body bag that he says was scraped off the street, right? As a bag of, like, guts. Oh, yeah, like, one of them is literally just a tiny bag. I thought there? that was the one that led into the story. I was going to say, wouldn't it be easier just to make him disappear? If he turned up as a dead body, isn't that more suspicious? Yeah. What's the... Why, yeah, why... Maybe that's why it was a pile of guts, but it just it seems very unclear. It's not like it should be a mystery for the wraparound. But I don't know if maybe that was just meant to be for a different story and they just ran with it, or what happened there? I... I don't know. It's really. annoying when things like this go against the, you know, the central structure of it. Yeah. It's like VHS when none of them make sense to be on VHS. Like, that's frustrating. Yeah. Because the wraparound is a satisfying way of tying things together. That's what's there. Well, that just ties up the loose ends. That's kind of a shame because I did actually like the, the idea of this, of having, like, someone in a morgue and yeah. pulling out bodies and then being like, oh, that's cool. Like, I imagine that's what they pitched it on to. Yeah, because that's an interesting idea. It's a nice way of doing it. Yeah. This story in the whole is, I think this is actually a so bad it's good. Yeah. Rather than being like it's weird and it's good, I think the best I... parts of it are where it is bad, in, in a brilliant way. I think and I can't believe this is John Carpenter. No, that's what I mean. But I think it's obviously like intentional. Like even with the montage of the hair and then a song about hair. Yeah, and, and like... don't get me wrong. Like Carpenter's a lot of goofy moments. He has bad films as well, especially in the nineties. Yeah, in my opinion. But I just think it seems so weird. I maybe perhaps someone I just thought. When did Twin Peaks come out? I don't know. Was I wonder if that music was meant to be kind of from Peaksy. Peaksian. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I could think. Maybe they were just going for something really off kilter like that with the jazz music, you know. But Yeah, I vibed with it. It was a weird fucking... <laughs> it was odd, but I think that's what I liked. I felt like I... 
you know when the difference when you're watching something like this is terrible this was not the intention of whoever made it to make it this funny mm. but I felt like this was kind of what it was about like it was meant to be silly and over the top I disagree I think it's just a <laughs> fucking shit show <laughs> it's got so many memorable bits in it yeah it's pretty brilliant but like I mean literally like a troll two way for me the effect <laughs> the effects are great um, yeah the effects in it are great that's why that's I, all I can really give it as like competent I filmmaking I feel. yeah I everything I mean I get what you're well, saying like the the montage is obviously intentional maybe because the, the moral of the story is accept yourself as a bold man and maybe it just I just it spoke to me in a, in a very special way okay <laughs> I'll let it go <laughs> yeah we go oh, back yeah. to John Carpenter in, in the morgue the coroner mm. and um he, you know, there's a, a more gore around him. This yeah. seems to be the motif. Every time they come back to him, there's something really grisly to look at. And um, he goes to drink some more formaldehyde, but it's empty. Mm. And there's a sort of big bottle, or, you know, sort of scientific-looking yeah. bottle um, that has an eyeball in it. Yeah. That's how it starts. So he goes to drink that, and he's drinking an eyeball martini. Which And it cuts into this story, because there's an eyeball good... corpse. Yeah, which is a good... Like, that one ties in. <laughs> Very clearly. I was about to say, I'm not sure... It does, just... We'll, okay, we'll get to it at the end, because it does tie into the end of this. This is the eye, which is the Toby Hooper segment. This is starring Mark Hamill, and I can't remember who um, who plays his wife in this. It's Twiggy plays his wife. Twiggy? Oh, yeah, it's Twiggy, isn't it? <laughs> he it's plays nuts. a character called Brent Matthews, yeah. who is a southern boy, which is someone I actually really like about the story. Yeah, I actually... I would say this is probably my least favourite story, but really? I actually thought that overall the film was good, so it was still a good story. Okay. It's fine. Um, yeah, he plays a guy called Brent Matthews, or I like to think of him as like, I was just calling him ahead like Luke Beer Trucker. <laughs> and he's a successful baseball player for the Bisons, which I presume is a made up team, but yeah. I don't follow Major League Baseball. Um, he's just come off like uh, a win, and he's sort of, you know, at the start, he's on top of the world. I thought the casting of Twiggy as his wife was kind of weird casting. I mean, it makes sense in the story well, for them to be quite different, but I just didn't really buy them as a couple. I got no, not at all. But even like Mark Hamill was like um, a baseball pitcher, was still felt like an odd choice. It felt like a with weird... a mustache. We haven't pointed that out. He's this big old mustache. A big old soup catcher. So but... he's he's driving back. Uh... He doesn't put a seatbelt on. Does he not? He doesn't put a seatbelt on. Oh, I didn't. Because I, I was tr- I'm trying to make morality tales out of all of these. <laughs> I just assumed this was, you know. A reminder of the perils of the days when there was cassette-related car accidents. Because <laughs> the whole thing happens because he's reaching for his tape cassettes. Oh, he's driving and it's hard to see, so he can't. And then he yeah, he undoes his seatbelt, doesn't he? So he can reach oh, the cassettes. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. He, Where yeah. the fuck are these cassettes? Centre yeah. console it, the, or your driver's side door. No, Why are they, it's an far... American car, man. They're like the size of fucking boats. Because <laughs> 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 we had to put a brick down on the accelerator and crawl to the back. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. So he yeah. manages to. Uh, there's a deer comes just as he's grabbing, you know, yeah. his greatest hits. He he crashes the car um, into a tree, and more importantly, into his fucking eye. He's, yeah, as two people come along to see the crash, walk in, and they're like, "Oh Jesus Christ!" So he literally goes, "Jesus!" <laughs> what is actually in his eye? Is it it's part of the windscreen? I presume. Yeah, I... and he touches it and he goes, "Ow." <laughs> <laughs> He does. I thought it was really funny that he's like reaches out to it. <laughs> he's like full mustache, like ah. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was interesting was Mark Hamill was obviously famously in a car accident. He broke his nose and his left <laughs> cheekbone. Yeah, I think that was in '77. So I I didn't know if it was like during the last stars and it might have been a bit of a sore topic. Yeah, I think it, if I remember, it was. I think there was an interview where he blamed like that for ruining his what he perceived as his good looks. Right. And which he felt like diminished his star power. So he. Uh, yeah, so he wakes up in hospital with bandages over his eye. Mm. Uh, there's two doctors, 
and one of them is Roger Corman. Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? There's another yeah. doctor though who um, I don't know if Roger Corman's the guy who tells him that um, you know it's, it, he's lost his eye because yeah. he wakes up thinking he's had a concussion. Yeah, which was cool. I think the story's real well written. The dialogue's really good, and I think the characters there a lot more than the other two. You know, he was on the bridge yeah. of success, and then he loses it because he, he's he's literally like, "But I'm a base, baseball player. It's my strong guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's my strong guy. Put it back in. <laughs> That's the one I see the baseball with." Yeah. Literally yeah. says that, <laughs> and it's like it's like almost like sad and emotional and a little bit funny. Oh yeah, it is actually like a fairly genuine response. Yeah, I got into this one a lot more from I think his performance. I think it's really good, and I think when we start to have this transplant thing, this is what I was saying about how this doesn't feel like it was constructed as a three-story thing, because it's a very similar setup to the previous one. Yeah. And it directly, for me, com- you have to kind of compare the two, and I think it's a much more efficient setup. It's a much better written story, much better mm. performed. And yeah. Toby Hooper does a really good job of setting the mood of it and making it really... It's like really the, probably the most disturbing There's, one. Yeah, I was about to say that even though I didn't... In a lot of ways, I don't know why I just didn't quite enjoy it. There's a lot of specific imagery which I really did enjoy. Hmm. This other Doctor that isn't Roger Corman... <laughs> which is what he's credited as I believe he basically immediately tells him that there might be hope for him and that he can transplant an eye and he's like well how soon can we do it Yeah. Um, and he's like well we've we just got a donor eye so we can do it and something weird he said that I was interested was he said it's your size yeah he said it sounds a bit morbid but it's your size it's like it's not even the right colour because yeah. he I laughed I have to admit I laughed he said it's a brown eye <laughs> <laughs> God, I yeah. feel it's a brown eye. But, uh, you can oh use my god, I mean, um, fuck, fuck this story actually. <laughs> this story's the worst. He wakes up and he's got a butthole for an eye, but it's an evil butthole. <laughs> I've seen Twiggy act alongside the like, I'm not sleeping with you, <laughs> butthole eye. I'll let you put your finger in it. <laughs> but the operation looked really gnarly. Like, yeah, that was cool. That was really cool. Apart from the fact that the eye seems to be transported in a cocktail. You know, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, this like cool little cocktail yeah. glass. It's like red and there's ice and there's ice. I just wanted a little like umbrella and ice sticking out the side of yeah. it. So then they have the scene where he gets his eyesight back, which is another. I thought it's another good human part of the story. Yeah, he is like genuinely overjoyed with it, which is nice. Um, so they get back home. I got the impression it was like a new house. Yeah, I think that was never part of his story, isn't it? They're trying to start a life together. Yeah, and. That's why it's one of the stresses of, like, he really wants to succeed as a baseball player to get some more money to look after his new family. So they're up in this room, and uh, this is the scene where we first see oh, the he, sort he of plot the outside the window. He first gets the headache because his flashes yeah. start to come. And um, something I also noticed was that Twiggy refers to um, giving birth as opening day. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ew, Twiggy! He said, he said something about opening day, and I thought, was he opening the present? He's already... Oh, 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 God. Oh, Twig. Twiggy doesn't want to sleep with him with his brown eye. <laughs> Is that really the way you had to phrase that, Will? Yeah, I mean... She's like, would it be better if I put the content in? And we start to see if Mark Hamill getting aggressive and, like, going off the handle, which yeah. I guess is a realistic thing that would happen. Like, that's yeah, well, like that's ca- it's, like, kind of a hint that something is going on, but at the same time, it's not unrealistic. Yeah, if you had, like, brain trauma, you might have these personality yeah. mood swings and stuff. Or even not, so. even just, like, it being that stressed. But the logic in the story is really there for me, and I think it makes it a lot Yeah, it makes more better. sense. Better is a horror story. Yeah. And um, it's just, at this point, I started to really appreciate, like, the tone in this one was a lot mm. more solid. It... It it's does, definitely more consistent. Yeah, and it reminds me of some of Toby Hooper's bad stuff, like Texas mm. Chainsaw and Funhouse. Yeah. Like, it does have that a kind of oppressive mood. Mm. He goes and puts the contact in, and then when he's walking back, he sees out the window, he has this vision of a woman coming out of that plot of ground where the shovel is. Yeah, which I liked. If it was outside, it'd be different, but I think it's because looking down from upstairs, it's kind of like a weird 
weirdly vulnerable. Yeah. Which I found before. Like, it's I, the distance as well. It adds yeah. to that. The fact that it, it is a vision. It's not really there. Mm. The fact that he's looking out the window at it is quite creepy. I think it plays into those kind of like dream yeah. sort of uh, visuals and stuff. It's really cool. So instead of sleeping with Twiggy, she just starts fucking compressing his skull. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> Just like, maybe this is better for you, maybe you're not ready yet. And he's like, yeah, because he's fucking wigged out. Yeah, I do kind of like some of his um, headaches where he's kind of like, ah, my brain! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, by the way, the last story should have been called Wigged Out. Wigged Out. <laughs> so it actually had good titles. Yeah. There is a tradition in, in horror, especially like pulpy horror, of like, mm. you have a transplant and you take on the personality of the person you had the transplant from. Yeah. And I was trying to work out where this goes back to, because I, I know it's something that would have been in like your uh, Tales from the Crypt comics and stuff back in mm. the day, like EC Comics and stuff. And the earliest I can trace it back to is a story called The Hands of Orlac. It's a French story by Maurice Renard from 1920. But I think the most likely influence was that was adapted as Hands of a Stranger in 62. Mm. It's about um, a pianist who loses both his hands in a guillotine. What happens is he gets a hand transplant, but they're from a murder victim rather than a murderer. Oh, and then they sort of possess him to get vengeance on the murderer. Oh, that's cool. That's actually a cool, um, yeah, well, I think it's I, a cooler I, story. That's not the cliche story I've heard. No. Like, that's not in you know the, the hair transplant story yeah. in um, The Simpsons, which is probably our touch point for <laughs> this uh, yeah. you know, early example of body horror. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's that sort of story, which yeah. the previous one isn't really, despite the fact it had that hair thing which reminded us of No, but there was no, like, there was, like, a clear morality tale to that one. It didn't really fall into that. Yeah. Strictly that formula by having his personality rechange, he just became a stallion. <laughs> I think his stallion was inside him all along. Like, <laughs> he just needed confidence. That yeah. was the real moral of the story. Yeah. I think this is where he's starting to have these more of these mood swings, and I think yeah. it's important for them. And he actually goes to dig up the plot of land in the next scene. Yeah. Um, and see what's down there, and that's when he sees he sees a body. He's, like, yeah. he's found a body, but then it, it's also a vision. Yeah, because that was the thing I assumed initially mm. that he because you don't know who the eye belongs to at this point in the story i kind of assumed it was either going to be he had the eye of a murderer or the eye had some kind of power and could see like victims or something yeah because like it kind that. of seemed attached to the house yeah because you I, haven't seen the house before they get there. yeah so i thought it was kind of like oh they're digging up the house they're going to find these bodies and it's like he can he's the only one who can see them through his magic eye Which yeah is not no, how it works it's not it, it definitely <laughs> is like ambiguous at that point he finds the body this is where he starts really losing his mind and he's like uh, reading the bible and stuff mm. to console him and then it comes to this probably the best scene in the film yeah, I just as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is it's actually a really good bit of storytelling. I like this." He's showing her that he's, he's built the crib that she's built, but then as he's looking through the bars, um, he's sort of transported into this vision where he's a child, mm. and this is like you know really crazy wide-angle shot. Like, yeah. it's all really bizarre, and basically being abused by a mother in the scene. Yeah, room. we realise later he's having flashbacks to be like the person whose eye is taken yeah. being abused. And I thought that was a really good way of showing that. It's, and it makes sense as well, not just randomly having the vision. It's like, okay, it's tied in to what's going and on. And it's really creepy, even though it's like it's like really it's really colourful, but it's just it's like, like yeah, it's genuinely nightmarish. And everything gets hysterical from here. There's this pretty disturbing scene where he's yeah, he's just kind of gets all wild, and then she's a corpse, and he's like fucking her. Oh yeah, because that's the thing, isn't and it? Like she's like screaming. It's, it's really disturbing. Like it's um, it's odd tonally for the film overall because it seems like very dark very dark yeah considering we have this goofy wraparound but for the actual story itself i was like oh it's pretty cool like, twiggy says like you bit me and shoulders like bleeding yeah and i think one thing she does do oh. well in this segment is 
She's good at looking like genuinely hurt and upset. Yeah. When I mean, she's crying at the end, it is quite powerful. Like. Yeah. But her normal acting, I think, black. Yeah. This actually was my favourite scene of the whole film. Was Mark Hamill lying naked on the bed, yeah. twisting around, full moustache, screaming. <laughs> he has a nice butt. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, <laughs> that's a cutie booty. <laughs> but I was like... I never thought, like, when I go into this film, that I was going to see this, and it was beautiful. <laughs> but he does, he sort of goes back into, like, you know, being normal and apologetic, and I think it, it carries it well. Yeah, so, he's got, like, a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on, like, this kind of yeah. archetype to this. When, um, after that is when he, he does the research, and he basically accosts the doctor who gave it to him and demands, like, whose eye is this, what have yeah. you done to me? And he reveals that it was from a criminal who got the gas yeah. chamber. Oh, did you enjoy the scene of the, um, the librarian helping him with the machine it just tickled me because normally they just they're just there doing it in a film yeah but she like full-on explains it to him like to you the viewers <laughs> if you were going to do it yourself and it's just like a really adorable touching scene i don't know if it was meant to be kind of funny or not it's because... to make up for the fact that he's about to talk about yeah, he... um, sexual molestation after death yeah That's which he says out loud it. which amused <laughs> me as well she's like okay <laughs> and she's kind of like okay and then you just use that to go for the pages and you can read whatever you want it's like, oh thank you thank you he's like he molested the corpse <laughs> before burying him. Uh, yeah. We find out that the eye belongs to John Randall. Killed seven women. He tried to dispose of them in the garbage disposal. That was the scene we missed out. Oh, yeah, so I, yeah, we did miss that one. That was never cool scene of the hand coming straight out of the disposal. But then he, he buried them all in shallow graves. Um, what does this say here? He killed them with garden shears. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he sexually molested them after death. And he was abused by his mother. Yeah. There's something that comes up. So that sort of explains everything we've seen to this point, really. Yeah, because he makes a point of um, they all have to have blonde hair, which yeah. is mother's blonde hair, and um, Twiggy has blonde Twiggy hair. Twiggy has blonde hair, yeah. The one, the, I think probably the last part of that scene, which I think is again where they don't skimp on character, is where he says how Randall referred to himself as the devil. And the yeah. way he says the devil kind of really plays into his, you know. He does have this like kind of Manson vibe when he's like pacing around the house at the end. We missed a trick with Mark Hamill. The next... He should have been the star. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's gone on to be good villains, doesn't he? Because he did the Joker. Obviously. Well, he famously is like, if it's not Heath Ledger at this point, it's, you know, Mark Hamill, he is the Joker. She's asking him what the hell he's doing, and he's, he says that he can't do what she wants him to do because he has to finish digging her grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is so bad. I love that. I always wanted, like, a, sort of a few sims, like, bam, bam, bam! <laughs> and then he's just sort of running in and. But to be fair, like, he, her, is right? like, he is playing a psych. Well, someone who's been possessed by a psychopath. Yeah. So I think, like, yeah, it, it, it still works. This like, seems yeah. really over the top, but I think it's really effective. There's a bit yeah, where she's cool. screaming, John Randall, 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 Randall. Oh, he, he, so, he keeps referring to himself in third person as John Randall. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, but it's also really disturbing if you're actually, like, imagining it happens. Yeah. You? And it, his eyes go on red as well. His brown eyes are red. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've just written Hamill is scary because he really is. <laughs> he, he, says, he says something where... Um, He's like, and it's so damn satisfying. Yeah, that's it. I really so tickled me. I, it's it's like, so damn satisfying. But like, I wasn't expecting body bags to be like this disturbing. And when I first watched it, it's like quite got to me. I was like, this is really strong. This whole scene is mm. filled with menace. And he has this this huge monologue where he's just going through all this stuff. Yeah. And you know, he, he is John Randall at this point. Well, he's Although like, he's talking like, third person. Yeah, he's becoming. It's odd because he's still like. He's not referring to himself as I when he talks about John Randall. Mm. He still says John Randall, and he like talks about him in third person. So it's almost like he's on the very brink yeah. of fully becoming him. And she, I don't know, if she realizes that she's like saying like John Randall's in the Bible or something. Yeah, that's it. Because she's trying to get him to go in the Bible. Because we find <laughs> that she's written 
to she and then she says like Brent Matthews in the Bible because she's written uh, like she an inscription to him. In the yeah, Bible. it's a gift. This big fuck off holy Bible that he has. So that's enough to pull him out of his you know pseudo possession. Like and... briefly, which I think he's aware of. Like it's not like a permanent like oh I've been rid of the demons. Yeah, and then. He stabs himself in the eye. So badass. There's one sting at the I'll end, which it. is the blood splashes over his Bible, and it's it's the line, um, and if they write, I offend thee, pluck it from thy pluck, face and cast y- it from thee. Oh, yeah, the eye that offends you, pluck it from thy face. Do you know anything about that quote? Because I've heard it before, but I don't really know. The only thing I've ever heard that in is um, Gangs of New York, which is a justification right. for Bill the Butcher. Apparently he looked away from the other character he respected and he was so ashamed of himself he cut the eye out that he looked away with or something. Wow. Which is cool, but this is where I get confused with the wraparound a bit. So is the eye that's in the bag the other eye? And if so, why did they take it out of the body? Because yeah, he, he, smashes, he about... smashes through that eye. I didn't think it at first, but that, that presumably is the missing eye and it is in perfect condition, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because right, he's not, he doesn't... But at least it's thematically appropriate. Oh yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, it film's a piece of shit. This fucking dark-ass story... Yeah. It cut, like, smash cuts to John Carpenter singing some song about eyes. Do you remember that? Oh, is that I've got my eye on you or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's what it is. And yeah, and he's like, can't resist. He's making a joke about how, um... If he's a baseball player who can't see, why didn't he just become an umpire? Oh yeah! <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, you told him. <laughs> he so told him. Nap. He laid him out. I think that's pretty much it. We hear well, you get a little sting, the don't you? Yeah, a little like... sting at the end. There's a people are coming down the steps, and um, he announces that it's time to go. Yeah. So he he lies on a table and zips himself in, right? Like, oh shit! And in walk Toby Hooper and Tom Arnold. They start to lazily biopsy John Carpenter, and he's just there, like, pulling faces while they sort of cut up in his chest cavity. Maybe this was why he obviously wasn't going to be a show, because it wouldn't it work every single time. Off, yeah, because yeah, he's That's a good, I was just presumably done. It, yeah. But at the same time, I, li- I really liked it. I think the wraparound is actually the best part of the whole film. It's, and it's I really entertaining. You can't make a film out of it. I would have loved to watch this as a TV show and have him as, like, the horror host. Exactly. Absolutely yeah. been amazing. So it would have been really interesting to see this um, if it was made into a series. But yeah, same time it got made and we watched it. It was good. <laughs> well, actually, was it good? Did you enjoy this film? Um, well, I chose this one for our first film. I think it was we did. because, one, I didn't remember it too well. Two, I mm. remember it having weird stuff in it. And I thought it would be just interesting to get <laughs> yeah. your opinion on, honestly. But um, I think overall I really like it. Yeah. But it's... it's uh, as it should be, it really is a mixed bag, and I think a lot of anthologies we're going to watch are going to be the same case. Yeah, they're always mixed bags, aren't they? But this one really has some bits that stand out, and um, I think it's a good example of the sort of second golden age of yeah. anthology films. I definitely think they were trying to rejuvenate it with this one to some mm. degree, even if it was also a rip-off of Tales from the Crypt. I think it was really cool to see Toby Hooper and John Carpenter work on a film, have John Carpenter present it. I think there's a lot to like about this film, and I, I'm surprised I never heard about it sooner, because I've never heard anyone talk about it outside of when I was in the US and someone had yeah. it on tape. So. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think the first um, story definitely held up best and was like the most John Carpentry for me, and I'm a fairly big fan Absolutely, of John Carpenter. Yeah. I think Slash is kind of, they do have a habit of overstaying their welcome sometimes, especially when they are very formulaic. Mm. And this is like, it does alter the formula, but it is done in a way that it's like, okay, 15 minutes is a perfect like set amount of time That's for this. a good this. point, actually, because you don't see that often other than in like bad fan films. Yeah. And I've, I've made a 15 minute oh, Slash speaking myself, of which, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about, unfortunately. Hair is just immortally <laughs> bizarre, and I'm going to make a sweet vaporwave video out of it soon. And the eye is pretty fucking creepy. So... Yeah, I enjoyed this one. You enjoyed it? Yeah, I think upon discussing it, 
maybe the third story is not the worst story now. The eye. I think perhaps. I thought that, that might be the case when we got into it. Yeah, now 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 we have talked about it. I'm like, I'm not quite sure why I didn't. I think I just thought hair was so funny and so silly. <laughs> but looking back, it was really, really stupid. They're strange well. bedfellows. Hope you enjoyed the first episode of our podcast. Next episode, we're going to be looking at Necronomicon Book of the Dead, which I've got from 993 here as well, so that's interesting. Uh, me and Sam are both big Lovecraft fans, we thought we might be a yeah. to jump into, because we've only recently heard of it. So, so we'll, we'll see like a four-hour podcast on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a tangent yeah. and spark notes for Shadow over internet. Um, <laughs> But yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Will, Sam. Right, Signing off. You. See you next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.